Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Mole. Jamal Force, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget to you. This is the After Further Review Show. Um, myself, and a guest on a given week will give our final grades on the previous week's game before we give a gear up for the following week. In this case, is the Detroit Lions. And on this week, we got the good man, Kyle Smith, for GM, uh, Hogshaven, uh, co-worker. I guess I, I think that's the word. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm still used to this. I'm not used to this journalism thing. I don't know what to call you, but uh, definitely going to call you the co-worker until I find a better word, I guess. <laughs> but but Kyle is joining me today uh, and he's checking in to give his final grades on, on the game, the Jacksonville game and obviously preview Detroit with me. Kyle, how you doing today? I'm doing very well, Jamal. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you this this beautiful evening. Got the windows open, just enjoying the weather. Absolutely. So where, so where, I don't know where you live in the, in the world, but uh, where is it at? What's the, what's the, not where is it at, but what's the, the weather where you're at? Excuse me. Uh, you know, it's like probably high seventies, uh, low humidity. I live in, you know, Metro Maryland between DC and Baltimore. Okay. Um, okay. So it's, it's pretty nice this evening. I, I definitely agree. Um, and right after this, I'm taking Dakota out for her walk. Uh, we'll probably get a good 25 minute uh, walk in. So, I got to take advantage of this weather for a little bit and make sure Dakota um, exerts her energy. I have a Husky. Uh, I got to make sure she exerts as much energy as she can because when I come in, I'm not I'm not playing with her. <laughs> she got to <laughs> lay on that floor so I can go ahead and finish the work that I got going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. But definitely a really good day in this area, man. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, first and foremost, as always, if you find yourself with some spare time today, man, we appreciate the – uh, the opportunity for you leaving that rating and review uh, is definitely appreciated. If you aren't subscribed as well, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the podcast itself, uh, whether it's Apple or Spotify, man, it's truly appreciated and things like that. Uh, and it lets the people know that this is a quality podcast, you know? So um, let's go ahead and get that out of the way and transition to the game itself, the Jacksonville game. Kyle, I have seen your words. I have seen your tweets, but I have not heard your voice on the Jacksonville game in Washington. Uh, we can, I guess we can go line by line. We'll get into everything ultimately. Uh, but let's talk about uh, your overall thoughts and then we'll start with the offense after that. What are your overall thoughts on on what came out of that Washington-Jacksonville game? 
Well, at the end of the day, I was obviously pretty happy with the win, but it was a roller coaster ride to get there. You know, I mean, I, I was on cloud nine after that first quarter to, you know, two touchdowns, just a dominating performance on offense. And then it seemed like the offense got stuck in quicksand there through, you know, the second and third quarter. And of course, Wentz sort of melted down uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter and then came back. So I, I felt like I was all over the place. I mean, I, you know, again, like I said, at the end of that first quarter, I probably felt as good as I'd felt about the offense in in years. Um, but I got to some pretty dark places there, you know, as the the Jags ultimately went up. Uh, but, you know, we did get to see it. I, I think it's right. That was basically the full Carson Wentz experience. Uh, you know, I mean, the the best of him and the worst of him. And I, I think we're going to probably have to get used to a little bit of that this year in terms of uh, what we're going to see from him. So. Yeah. And, and I think for me um, now there's a couple things. things. Uh, first and foremost, I understand that people are very high after a win. And um, sometimes uh, if you're, if you're doing this analysis thing, you're not going to always get the, the best reception on your opinion, <laughs> uh, yeah. whether, whether you think is your truth or not. I mean, whether you think is your truth or, and, and them actually believing or understanding that you're just breaking something down. And for me, Kyle, I think that Washington, uh, they were fortunate. I'll just put it that way. A day in which you have three turnovers, uh, a day in which your secondary, and, and excuse me, your back seven, meaning your linebackers and secondary, really had issues covering uh, from a from an actual assignment standpoint and understanding where they're supposed to be on the field. And uh, I'm not, I think the offense was really, was was pretty much good for the for the majority of the day from an execution standpoint, uh, person. I mean, excuse me, play calling standpoint. Uh, I think that they were pretty good. But uh, any day you have those three turnovers, um, and then you have a defense that that is really struggling on the back end. Uh, but thankfully the pressure you know saved the day. I think that Washington really met the right opponent in Jacksonville. I think that they had a really good opportunity to overcome these turnovers because Jacksonville couldn't get out of their own way. Uh, they killed themselves with missed opportunities. Uh, and, and Trevor Lawrence, I used, I, I said initially that I thought Trevor Lawrence actually had a good game. And uh, ultimately, look, when you run it back a couple times, you, you see the the flaws in this game from an actual um, uh, passing standpoint. They, he just weren't, he he really wasn't hitting his guys. And then it, it even got it got worse when he was under pressure. Um, so I, I think I think Washington was very fortunate to play a younger team in, in Jacksonville, uh, but ultimately. Uh, the, the positive and flip side for Washington is that they were actually resilient. And I love the way in which Carson Wentz fought back at those two turnovers after the load that you, that Ron Rivera described. And after the, the quicksand <laughs> uh, description that you described, how they were able to fight back and really uh, get into gear after those turnovers and after the lead uh, shrunk and ultimately went in favor of Jacksonville. You know, I was very impressed in how they, how they moved forward beyond that point. Yeah, no question. I think, and I think you're right that this is a good opponent. I, I really think, especially with uh, Dak Prescott down. I mean, these first four games are, uh, you know, let's be honest. I mean, they're they're against pretty favorable opponents from for our perspective. At least, certainly three of the four. I mean, maybe you don't want to count the Eagles, but but there we couldn't really hope for a better group of teams to start out against in terms of having a little bit of room for error, and so. Um, we'll see how it plays out. And I'm not saying take any opponents, um, you know, lightly, but 
but again, sort of like you said, you've got to you've got to evaluate the game in terms of the context of the the quality experience of the opponent and all of those kinds of things. And the, just the reality of the schedule is that it's pretty favorable to us this year in terms of if we get off to a little bit of a slow start, that's okay because there's a little bit of uh, play or forgiveness um, in this early part of the schedule, uh, assuming that it results in maturity and better play later on in the uh, season when we're playing probably tougher opponents. I think that it's lays out just well for the commanders uh, this year. I mean, we got crushed by the schedule last year, so it's, it's yeah. only fair that it works out that way. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, um, I, I don't know. I, I was, I was very encouraged to see um, Carson come back there at the end, made some great passes I just, you know, I, I'd really just love to have like a 28 to three thrashing, you know, that we could, so I can just relax. Yeah, in the summer, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. Like that. It, it never comes easy in Washington. And, and obviously with Carson Wentz, they said, uh, buckle up because this is going, I said it, I said it Sunday. I, I said, this is, um, when you talk about that full Carson Wentz experience, it's like, uh, you're on Twitter often. It's like those people where you come across. Uh, I, I don't know how many people you come across in your timeline. I'll just put it that way. But I have a lot of people uh, that's 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 you know in the in the dating mix, and they'll they'll tell you like before you enter my DMs, I want you to see this full picture of what I look like, and the joy the choice is yours to make that decision. And these guys, what Carson Wentz did in that very first game was say, look, we got 16 games left. This is what you're going to get in a rent on a, on a given week. This is exactly what you'll experience. You better deal with it now, compartmentalize, accept it because we got 16 more games left to play with, uh, to play in 2022. So uh, I, I do, I do understand uh, exactly what we saw. And, and, and I hope everybody understands that this is, this is probably what you're going to get on, on a weekend week out basis, like the, the good uh, and maybe the bad, but hopefully you don't get the ugly. Uh, as we go to the offense altogether, we can start with Carson. I mean, excuse me, Scott Turner. I mean, then actually go down to uh, Carson Wentz after that. But uh, Scott Turner, man, how did you feel Scott Turner did uh, from an offensive play calling, or maybe even a scheme standpoint? What, what do you think about Scott Turner? What's your grade on him? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you saw Mark's article uh, referring to Scott Turner as a mastermind. I don't know that I'd go that far, but <laughs> certainly you got to see, um, you know, with uh, Curtis Samuel healthy with uh, all the other weapons that are available to him, um, what Scott Turner is capable of, particularly in that like first quarter, really, and just spreading the ball around. I mean, you know, some people, I don't know, I haven't really heard a lot of it, but some people might be disappointed. You know, Terry didn't get 100 yards or, you know, there was the, the re receptions were pretty much spread around. And I think that's what we I, that's what I hope for each each game. You know, if, if nobody gets more than 50 yards total receptions, it doesn't bother me as long as we're getting four uh, aerial touchdowns. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I felt like going into the season um, that this was going to be a very true test of Scott Turner Turner's ability. And I think, you know, we saw that in, um, in this first game, the, the thing, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it because you've looked at the film a lot more carefully than I have, but it, it felt like, um, you know, they go up, with the two touchdowns and then rolls into the second quarter. And it felt to me like they, they took the, their foot off the gas a little bit. Um, and of course, you know, there was the Curtis Samuel fumble there in the second quarter, but it felt like the game, the, the game planning changed a little bit. And for me, it felt like it was way too early to start going into 
uh, conservative mode. And maybe that was just my perception at the time and it's not accurate, but I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective as somebody who's looked more carefully at the film, did you notice any tangible difference in terms of uh, the aggressiveness that they were the, of the play calling, um, you know, after the first quarter, or, or is that just a figment of my imagination? No, I don't, I don't think you're off at all. Uh, I think so to your point though, and that, that you mentioned is, is very important that we note that Curtis Samuel fumbled. Um, and we, we know that because obviously when he fumbled, they were in plus territory, they were driving, um, the opportunity was there before he fell. And, and obviously before he lost the ball, the opportunity was there to get like five or six yards on that play itself. So now you're driving uh, right after a big play from Antonio Gibson at that. Uh, so you have that opportunity and, and obviously that drive killer uh, happens and you lose the football and you, you're off the field for like six minutes, uh, five to six minutes on a Jaguars offensive possession. And that ultimately leads to no points for them. But to your point, when you get the ball back, uh, Washington had uh, – like a, a number of plays in which uh two things actually they had a number of plays that were more so tailored to really hitting uh their players at the line of scrimmage right uh and, and they were doing that in the beginning of the game but uh it wasn't really stretching the field and it wasn't really creating that space that you saw early in the game but that's the first thing like they were tailored towards the at or near the line of scrimmage but then secondly uh jacksonville actually made plays as well and I think that's the thing that I pointed out early on a, on a live stream. I had broke some film down. Like one of the things that Jacksonville did, uh, they they had some effective blitzes. Their playmakers made plays. Obviously, we know about Trayvon Walker uh, beating Sam Cosme on the edge. Um, on that sequence alone, coming out of the second half, coming into the second half, excuse me, uh, you have Jacksonville sending a, a pressure blitz that gets into the way of, of Washington uh, even attacking downfield on, on like a – like the personnel itself was was small. Like it was like a, a run-based personnel and they passed out of it. Um, so you don't really have that many receiving threats downfield. But then you check it down to Antonio Gibson. I think that's Antonio Gibson gets like a yard, if not like a loss, a loss of yardage. And then right after that, Sam Cosman giving up a sack. So like your offense is kind of out of sync in a sense. And now you're reeling and trying to figure out how to get some rhythm. And you get some rhythm on the next drive, and and then you have your turnover, your interception. And I think that's like the the things where it's like it's a hit and miss because the offense and what Scott Turner is actually calling once he once he realizes that they're in the funk, the offense kind of opens up. the The defense from the secondary standpoint never really changed. They were they were confused. Uh, they weren't able to really match the, the the patterns, the route patterns that Washington was dialing up. Scott Turner was dialing up, but ultimately uh, from an execution standpoint, um, Jacksonville got better. Uh, Washington wasn't able to really uh, overcome like how they were attacking them in the second half to start the second half until it was uh, until those turnovers happened. So uh, I don't think you were far off at all. I, I do think that they hit a, a funk, but I don't think I think the biggest part is actually the fumble uh, that really hurt them because they were they were really in a rhythm at that point and that that knocked it off. Yeah, and, and it, it's interesting, because, and I could be totally wrong on this. I, I commented about it elsewhere, but, you know, my feeling was on that play where Samuel fumbled, um, and I, I feel like Scott Turner wants to use him maybe more broadly than he's ideally used, but I felt like that would have been, to me, that would have been a play, like a Brian Robinson play or whatever, if Brian Robinson had been around. You know, like the the sort of up-the-middle uh, who knows, four or five yard gainer or whatever. And I just felt like, oh, gosh, this, you know, maybe who knows if that would have been the case or not. But I, I just, um, 
it struck me at that moment in time when he fumbled, I was like, geez, this, is this really the, the <laughs> ideal uh, way to use Samuel? And I, again, we've got some constraints going on right now, but I, I just, it did really strike me at the time that like, this is, uh, it felt like Brian Robinson territory, you know? And I'm like, I can't wait for that guy to get back. I, yes, I can't, I can't wait. Uh, obviously to this point in the day in which we're recording, we know that he is a, or he at least came back to practice um so that's a good sign and he is he is on schedule to, to come back in week five so i can't wait for him to come back to your point i i can't even say that i agree or disagree i, I don't know i think it's an interesting point and a solid point because all, i think the thing that we know is that all three running backs i, I talked to you about this on on twitter i think all three running backs prior to the the, the conversation of curtis samuel um antonio gibson jd mckissick and jonathan williams are all capable of capable of attacking on the interior that the a gaps uh and, and and getting those inside runs and things like that and just working in between the tackles all together and uh i never it never dawned on me or i mean clearly because i'm so focused hyper focused on the running back position that curtis samuel is going to fit that mold too and and the conversation about curtis um it's interesting because like i don't even know what his fumble numbers look like from a career standpoint uh but for him to fumble in that spot uh, it, it does raise my alarms a little bit uh, because like how much are they going to expose him to those type of plays in the interior? Like, can he manage that? Cause I'm, I'm thinking like the way he played, that's a 70 carry type of type of player this year, at least 70, 70 carries this year. And I would have said hundred if Brian Robinson was out for an extensive amount of time, but 70 carries is probably a healthy number for or a player that's going to have uh, some good running backs on his roster. Uh, so to your point, I don't know. It's interesting, and I think it's a valid point. Uh, but I guess we'll see how things play out come week five, uh, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. So I just pulled up his numbers. His, I mean, he's only really had two years where he's had any significant carries. In 2020, he had 41 carries, and he only had one fumble. And uh, okay. he's only ever had one other fumble, actually. He's only had three fumbles in his career. So it's not as though he, he doesn't have a very big sim- sample size, but – in 2020, which is obviously the best year of his career, he um, uh, he didn't fumble a ton. But I I don't I haven't really looked at the film of the way he was utilized as a uh, as a running back or a rusher in 2020. I don't know. Maybe you've looked back at that some more. But I again, I just feel like especially these kind of slight guys or uh, you know running through the middle of the line of scrimmage, it just it, it intuitively, it seems like it just puts them at risk potentially for getting stripped or, or losing the ball. But, you know, that's, uh, we've had some healthy discussions about fumbling and, and um, uh, those kinds of things on, on the blog. And so uh, we'll see, I don't know. Um, I, I, I feel like sometimes one of, maybe one of Scott Turner's um, possible flaws, and it's probably the, a possible flaw of a lot of offensive coordinators is like, he can get a little too cute sometimes, you know, I mean, sometimes you see like the reverses and stuff and it's like, have we seen a reverse that's worked at all since, (laughs) since he's been here? Uh, I actually think one of the, one of the, to your point though, uh, the, the cute part, uh, the Curtis Samuel screen, uh, they tried it. So the the screen that they ran Armani Rogers on that first drive, I believe, um, they tried it again with Curtis Samuel later in the game. And, um, I I think that it's a good, I think it's a good idea, but I think it's, like poor design from a standpoint of like the the defense was keying in on Curtis Samuel for a good portion of the game and you aligned him in a way similar to which you you aligned um Armani Rogers in and when you call that play uh I can't remember what quarter it was at this point but when you call that play you got a guy 
uh, Trayvon Walker, who's right next to him with a high sense of awareness. Clearly, we understand that from that interception. Um, he's right there seeing Curtis Samuel peel off on the block. So, like, the chip, and he peels off, and he's like, oh, it's a screen. And, and where Curtis Samuel could have took it for, like, 10 or 11, uh, Trayvon Walker stops it, and it goes for, like, a yard. Um, but that's all about understanding that, you know, Curtis Samuel is a, a big piece, a big focal point to your offense at that point where he's getting, he's had, what, 14, 15 touches in the game, and, and now you, uh, did I say 14, 15? I, I don't think he had that much, but he probably had like 9 or 10 at that point. Um, 12, yeah, 12 and, total. Yeah, 12 total. So he had probably had like 9 or 10 at that point, um, and, and that ultimately impacts how the defense views him throughout the game. So uh, to your point, uh, Scott Turner does have those instances where it's like you, you, you could utilize something in a more effective way or just be more direct and not necessarily uh, try to get too cute in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that's easy enough for him to cut back on. But I think overall, you know, um, I'd give I feel like I'd give Scott Turner probably like a B plus A minus, you know, in terms of the performance. I'm with you. There. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty happy with it. I'm with you. I won't even add too much on that one. Scott Turner did a good job all day. Uh, creating spacing, uh, giving his guys those opportunities in, in open field to make plays after the catch. Um, and I think that could be a focal point for most teams. I mean, for most games, because uh, these guys, you have Terry McLaurin, who has always been a, a yak uh, a yak specialist. And then Curtis Samuel, uh, obviously, like you saw, we saw his agility, his elusiveness um, after the catch. Uh, he's, a, he's a headache to deal with. And obviously, Antonio Gibson, we've seen him for two years as well. Uh, being able to uh, carry the ball, but also like how difficult it is for defenders of all sizes on all on all levels of the defense to really break him down on the first attempt. So uh, I agree. I give him B plus. Uh, I, I I would say A minus, uh, but uh, I I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I'll do B plus for now. And and as we transition to Wentz, um, Kyle, I get the floor to you. Uh, what's your thoughts on on Wentz and and what do you think that uh, he could have done better or or uh, what do you think that he really was really good at and things like that? What's your, what's your opinion on? Wentz? Yeah. Well, I mean, some of on those deep passes, you know, he, he's, he's as promised. I mean, the shots to, I, I, I'd love that first pass to Gibson, you know, with get Gibson out as a wide receiver and get hitting in deep. And then uh, Dotson, I mean, he, he delivered two really nice balls to Dotson. And, and again, can, can we say enough good things about that kid? I mean, he's just, yeah. Terry has very good hands, but I, I don't know. You know, I would, it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that, that Dotson might be um, even more talented in that regard. You know, it's, it's too early to say that, but, but I mean, he just, it may, that's going to make a big difference having another uh, uh, accomplished receiver uh, on the other side of Terry for sure. So um, I think, you know, there were a couple instances where I, I felt like Wentz was still, maybe um, holding on to the ball a little bit longer than I would have liked. Um, yeah, I think he only had one sack during the whole game, so yeah. it, it wasn't like it was that bad. But the offensive line, I thought, played really well, too. I mean, you pointed out um, how well Charles Leno played, but I think as a unit, even with some um, you know, swapping out on the interior positions, uh, I thought it held up fairly well, all things considered. I'd still – you know, I was looking – at. I think I can't remember if it was Mark and um, when we Mark and you and I talked last time, but um, you know, Josh Allen watching Josh Allen play last Thursday and how his quick release balls, you know, I'm, I was thinking to myself, 
there's no reason that that at least part of Carson's game couldn't be structured similarly. I mean, he's got, you know, they're, they're basically the same size, great arm strength. They've got some, both got some mobility. Um, I think probably Allen, ironically, maybe has some better short area accuracy than than Wentz does. But I'd, I'd like to see that incorporated into the game because, one, it takes a lot of pressure off the offensive line in terms of not having to block for for very long. And two, I just feel like it opens up some of the other uh, elements of the game too. And I mean, you may have a, a contrary opinion and say, well, that's outside his, um, his, his, you know, real ability, but I, I feel like I'd love to see that component um, integrated more into his play. But I, I, you know, there were a couple of the the bad decisions with regards to the, um, the interceptions. And I do, I call the second one personally a bad decision. I know a lot of people were saying, well, Walker made an awesome play and yeah, he made an awesome play, but it was also kind of like a, just a, I just always say it takes two to tango, bro. That, that's yeah, literally yeah. what I say. You can't, you cannot like, of course he made a great play, but who helped him? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> who right. enabled it? <laughs> it's like, you know, um, I, <laughs> I've, co- I've coached flag football in the past and you know, that's obviously not any, uh, anything like NFL football or tackle football and other levels. But it's like, when you see that throw back across the middle, you know, it's like, Lots of bad things happen when 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 that occurs, especially when you've got just like, you know, a mishmash jumble in the middle of the field. It's just I think he even admitted and I think you maybe you pointed it out. He said I, I should have thrown it at the dirt, which to me was that would have been the right solution there. I mean, it's just let's not try to force um, a marginal play when you don't have to um, and risk you know, a, a catastrophe. I mean, that could, I mean, it was basically almost like a pick six kind of situation where they were, you, they, they were right in our red zone as soon as they intercepted that. So, um, you know, again, overall, I, th- I, I think I put Carson's play at around a B actually, I, you know, I was thinking about that afterwards. I, I think it, it all told, uh, feel, felt like about a B range. It's, it's just for the sake of being different, because I, I was around B. I'm going to just say B minus. <laughs> just for the sake of being different. Because yeah, yeah, sure. um, I, I think what... So there's there was a multitude of, of, of things. And, and I guess I'll kind of mesh the offensive line in with this comment on Wentz. I think Wentz overall, like, I think that he held on to the ball. To, first off, he had, a, he had a good game. I think he overcame his interceptions uh, in, a, in a big way for Washington. Um, and I think he was learning on the fly from a from a standpoint of actually the 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 film sessions, like how however they they break they they give the little pictures and things like that sent to him. Um, he was able to, or maybe even how he was communicating with, or Scott Turner was communicating with him in the helmet, because I think that he was really learning and picking up things as the game went along. Um, in, in instances in which I would say that is, uh, and I ultimately get to the offensive line. But when you talked about dinking and dunking in the sensor or just hitting those short passes. I think that he did a really good job. Uh, like, for example, there was one moment where um, Jacksonville, like, they were giving him, like, second and longs. Not not even not even uh, third and longs uh, where they're playing soft coverage and playing at the sticks, but they're giving up second and, second and nine. They're playing a soft cover two, and, and that soft cover two would give you that, that middle of the field uh, at least five yards of space where uh, Antonio Gibson is and Curtis Samuel is and, 
I don't know if you remember specifically, but there was a play in which uh, there was late uh, in in the midst of that quote unquote low that that Ron Rivera described it as. Um, there was a crossing pattern that Curtis Samuel had, and and the bat the the pass was batted down after Carson Wentz was in the pocket holding the ball for at least six or seven seconds. And to your point, he was staring down some passes, uh, holding holding on to those initial reads a little bit too too often. <clears throat> excuse me, too long. And uh, but the point is with the soft cover too, you have Antonio Gibson running out of the backfield, curling after like three yards, and he's wide open immediately. And if you give him the ball at that point, he has about nine or 10 yards in front of him where he can get that second and nine to end up being, or second and 11, excuse me, second and 11, uh, turning into a, like a third and three, third and two, maybe not, maybe even the first down. Um, and then the same thing happens uh, later, uh, the next drive, the very next drive, he has another soft cover too. And he has J.D. McKissick right out of the gate. And that J.D. McKissick play where he was in the open field and made that linebacker miss, that was that was what that was in the soft cover two in the second and nine. He converts it and gives you that first down. So to your point, trying to understand that that underneath stuff is there, those short patterns are there, taking what's in front of you uh, is there. And I think that he learned uh, as the game went along. And that wasn't the only instance, but those are the bigger instances where you see how soft that coverage is playing. And Carson Wentz, for whatever reason, couldn't hit the check down that was right in front of him initially, but he went he went back to it when he got that same exact look and was able to hit it. Uh, but overall, uh, Wentz, or back to some other things, I thought that he learned throughout the game, even the, the Terry touchdown. Uh, Terry touchdown was like a setup play, and we all know to this point, if you're listening, you understand that Ron Rivera talked post-game. And in post-game, he mentioned how Scott Turner told Carson Wentz, stay on Terry a little bit longer on this play. If he's there, you take that shot. And he so he surely did, but early in that drive, and I'm surprised nobody really even brought it up. Like I, I have the film of it, but I'm surprised nobody really brought it up. Like from a vocal uh, audio standpoint, early in that drive, they ran Jacksonville did ran the same soft coverage um, that I think ultimately led to them whispering or or whispering, telling ter- ter- <clears throat> excuse me Carson in the huddle like this is this is who you need to go to. This is who you need to stick with um, because Jacksonville is playing a soft coverage. Uh, they're not rerouting Terry McLaurin in this soft coverage, and when you're when you want to funnel uh, people to your inside help as a as a as a boundary receiver or field, I'm excuse me, a field cornerback, you want to make sure that you have that sideline. And Shaquille Griffin did not uh, own the sideline; he gave it to Terry. Terry had a good release, got outside, and things like that. But the the point being is that while Carson Wentz scrambled on the play in which Terry would have been open. They came back to it once they got on the plus side of the field and they saw the same situation, the same coverage, the same cornerback, not, uh, not filling in and, and Carson Wentz attacked him on that same drive. So like he's seeing, he's seeing certain things well, like on second attempts and things like that. Uh, you do want to see him uh, get things right. The first, obviously um, he was accurate to the, to the sense of like some timing routes, uh, being able to uh, uh, hit obviously Curtis Samuel in, in the intermediate and things like that. And, I loved what I saw from what he can do from an arm strength standpoint, attacking all three levels of the field. And that, that pass to Terry in itself, it got there quick. It got there so quick, like the safety had no opportunity to recover. Um, so you kind of see from an arm strength standpoint what he brings to you versus what Washington has had in the past. So I, I kind of I, I like that aspect. I'll give him a B minus, and I'll give him a B minus only because of those two turnovers. You explained the interception, the second one well, the, 
the first one he's just late and he's inside it's a poor pass um so you need to be you have you need to have more uh rhythmic timing with your receiver understand it where he's going to be from a depth standpoint and, and throw a better ball it's that simple especially when you're going to stare down the guy <laughs> don't stare yeah. don't stare him down right right yeah no i mean i was actually as you were talking i pulled up the the replay of the mclaurin touchdown and it is it really is just a, a thing of beauty i mean he you know he launches it 40 45 yards just in the air and and like you say it's uh the safety just doesn't have enough time to get there that's certainly it's certainly not a ball we would have seen <laughs> uh with taylor heineke uh last mm-hmm. year so um oh. i don't know i mean yeah i i'm excited i i i, I do think um you, when you were talking earlier you mentioned the mckissick play you mentioned the uh the curtis samuel play i don't remember seeing as many um short catches you know, uh, short of the the uh, first down turned into first downs in a single game as I did uh, this this past week. I mean, I think um, Curtis had one. I think uh, JD Antonio, had one. And I also, uh, Gibson, I think Gibson had one too, as I recall, maybe. And it was like, you know, like like you're pointing out, it's just get the ball in those guys' hands, and they're gonna break break linebacker ankles or whatever and be able to get four or five yards uh each time it's just and and maybe that will come as you say with some trust uh building but those those short underneath passes um i'll, I'll take those all day i mean the, the bombs are beautiful but but i'll take the the short passes that get the first down marker moved yeah um, last couple of things for me on offense. I'll, I'll be quick with mines, and, and and you got the floor after that one. Offensive line. Uh, I said I was going to mess it with Wentz, and I think the, a good thing that I, that I think Wentz did was actually get the ball out quickly, quicker than anticipated, because uh, there were some times in which the interior lost. Um, and, and to that note, uh, I was listening to um, Logan Paulson's podcast earlier, and this was before. I mean, this is after I, I was watching the film, so I'm like. Where are people? Where are people saying that this offensive line played well? Like I get it from a statistical standpoint, Carson Wentz kept, was kept clean. But I think uh, when I asked that question, it wasn't more so that I completely disagreed. I, in, in total, I think the offensive line pass protected well, um, so that was that. But I think the interior is what struggled. Um, obviously, the interior was rotating guys, but Trey Turner is a guy that um, is is considered was considered a starter at one point. Um, Andrew Norwell was considered a starter, but more importantly, Chase Ruye. Now, I bring up Logan Paulson podcast because uh, the person that really stood out from a struggling uh, uh, issue was was Chase Ruye, and he struggled with guys that was directly lined up over him, whether it's the nose tackle or like a shaded nose, which is like to his slightly to his left or slightly to his right, and that's where he had his issues, and uh, he was struggling to stay stay balanced. He was struggling with his pad level. Um, he wasn't able to sink his hips or anything like that, and I thought it was more so it could have been rust, and it also could have been the fact that Jaguars' defensive line is actually pretty good. Um, but then it also be could be a point that he may not fully be healthy. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't take that into consideration that he may be struggling uh, with his injury in terms of just feeling 100%. And, and that's something to monitor moving forward because if you have a good interior guy from a defensive standpoint, Chase Rude might be the weak link. Yeah, that, that's a scary thought. Um, and I saw that, <laughs> uh, I guess Tyler Larson, hopefully will be back before too long, you know, as maybe a backup, but I, it, 
Chase did really, you know, he didn't start playing until pretty late in the uh, the offseason. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he's still knocking some of the rust off. Um, and, and hopefully he'll continue to uh, get his uh, feet under him over the next few weeks. But, but that's a good, certainly something that's good to point out. Um, I also worry about Wes Schweitzer, you know, with his sort of recurring hamstring issues. It's like, mm-hmm. um, We've got a little bit of musical chairs going on there. And and I, I don't know if you – I didn't really get a chance to look at how Sadiq Charles played uh, in the game, but if I wonder if you have any thoughts on um, his the snaps that he took um, during the game at all. I mean, both he and Turner, I think, both came in for intermittent st- stints throughout the game. Not too much. Um, I, I, there were some moments where he, he was out of place from a – a run standpoint, I think he missed the reach block in a zone run scheme, a zone run play. Uh, like he completely missed an assignment. And I don't know if he got the wrong call or if he was expecting somebody to help him. But uh, first play that he was in, he missed he missed an assignment. Um, and then you have uh, one bad rep that I noticed in pass protection. But like those were just two negative plays that stood out overall. He wasn't like a huge issue. Um, he was able to recover from those things, but I, I don't think he—I don't think he played bad, but I don't think he played like necessarily really good. He was just—he was just serviceable, if that makes sense, from a, yeah. a, a spot duty that he had to do. So, um, yeah, that's that's that for 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 Shadik, really. Um, I'm trying to think if, about the offensive line. Um, Sam Cosme had his battles, like he is a second-year player, uh, but Sam Cosme had his battles and. Obviously, he got beat on the edge on one time, but uh, other than that, he was a competitor, man. I, I liked how he fought. Um, obviously, both tackles, that was, those were my go-tos. Like, Sam Cosby and Charles Leno. Charles Leno, he was a dog from the beginning, um, but I liked how both both tackles for Washington really fought and competed the entire day. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to complain when they give up one sack, and, you know, um, certainly there were plenty of times where it seemed like um, Wentz had – um, more than enough time in the pocket. So I, I don't know. I guess I, we've gotten a little spoiled, I think, with uh, with John Matsko, you know, patching together these offensive lines year after year. But um, but it looked from your from your film breakdown, certainly like Leno is really um, fitting into that role very nicely. And, you know, he had some some serious talent to go against this week and, and held his own. So that's that's encouraging for sure. Absolutely. Um, defensively, we, we can start. We can just go macro. Um, Dale Rio, defensive line, linebackers, DBs, whatever you want to take with this one. Kyle, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, how do you matter of fact, let's do coordinator and then we can talk about uh, actually, I guess it all meshes well together. Let's just let's go macro and, and talk whatever you want to do uh, about that defense. What do you think? Well, I guess the I'd, I'd like to start off on a good note. I mean, did Derek Forrest like did he? surprise you too i mean jesus he came out of nowhere you know i mean i I wasn't sure honestly if he was um ever going to necessarily make the transition to like pro um pro safety i thought i figured okay he's probably the guy who's going to replace DeShazer everett everett on special teams and then be like a backup safety but i mean he made the most of his time uh with cam curl out for sure and really you know whatever it was the top rated safety by pff in the league i think uh in week one so he really yeah. made his uh made his presence known uh somebody hilariously on on twitter posted um in response to a, a tweet that i sent out they called him forest thump 
um, <laughs> as, as a nickname, you know. So um, anyway, thought, you know, he, he laid the wood down. It'll be real interesting to see what happens uh, this coming week. I, I, you know, there was a lot of talk um, in the preseason about him potentially being um, a good Buffalo nickel. It seems to me like there's the possibility of that I'd, I'd definitely like to get your thoughts on on that. I mean, it was it was painful to see uh, Jamin Davis, you know, get roasted by Christian Kirk repeatedly and, and even more painful than to hear uh ron rivera say you know well it was just a question of technique you know no, there's there's no technique that jam in my opinion jam davis is going to be able to uh carry out that is going to make him a good uh cover option for um you know a slot receiver uh but well, against uh, a slot receiver like kirk too Kirk's, yeah like i've been telling i think we talked about it Maybe maybe it's probably on Twitter. I don't know. But, yeah, Kirk is a guy that I really respect. I really like. So for them to have that matchup, because uh, I, I want to get you to, to the point where you mentioned with Ron Rivera, uh, he talked about the technique, but he also talked about how he didn't like how Ron Rivera, I mean, how Jamin Davis was actually um, put on Kirk from his, I mean, Kirk from a schematic standpoint. Like they have to try to work their adjustments a little bit better. He's saying from a, a Washington's defense a coordinator standpoint, like they have to make sure that they don't, align a Jamin Davis on a slot receiver in the future as well. So to your point, uh, I, I understand and I agree. And, and it's actually alarming the amount of times that he had that matchup. Uh, but uh, ultimately, as an athletic linebacker as Jamin Davis is, um, you're able to keep up with him to a degree. But um, if you aren't, if you aren't as shifty as a Benjamin St. Juice, you're going to struggle. And, yeah. and even Kendall Fuller to that degree. Uh, it ain't that many people that's going to be able to keep up. And Kendall Fuller got worked on a double move. <laughs> but uh, it ain't going to be that many to be able to keep up in, in man coverage against a Christian Kirk. Right. No, you're right. And, and so that that does get to the point of Del Rio and, and scheming uh, players appropriately. Again, something like that can, you know, maybe happen, maybe happens once a game just because there's, a, you know, some there's not an ability to adjust. But for it to happen several times to yeah. me uh, is a is a failure of the coaching. Uh, and again, I don't put it really on Jamin because it's just there. It's not there's not a situation under which you would expect him to be able to to um, cover somebody like Christian Kirk. So, um, I, you know, I think probably initially I was a little bit more um, neutral on the defensive line play. I, you know, reading through your your pieces and watching uh, the film breakdowns that you've done, I think you've won me over to um, to to <laughs> believing that it was more solid than I had initially thought. You know, one of the things, again, you pointed it out in your article, and I, I, you, you look at these things a lot more closely uh, than I do. And, and it seemed like there was, was there more stunting going on in the interior defensive line in this game than, than normal? Um, I've always felt like it'd be nice to see a little bit more of that just because you're, then you're taking advantage of, um, you know, picking offensive linemen on each other and just sort of opening up uh, opportunities for other guys on the line. I, but I don't know. I mean, was it the same as, as you had seen last year in terms of that, or was there something that was more that was going on? I did feel like um, the play seemed uh, less selfish, more selfless than maybe it had been in the past in terms of let's just wreak havoc and, and somebody's going to, you know, 
eat as a result of that, as opposed to everybody trying to singular, singularly pursue uh, the quarterback. And, you know, John Allen said something like to that effect, I think in the last day or two saying, you know, it's like, it felt like the four of us were acting like a group as opposed to four individuals. Uh, and that was successful, which, you know, I think most of us had probably been crying out for most of last year. You know, it's like, come on, please do that. Um, so I'll stop there, but I, I'd really like to get your perspective on that because like I say, I think you've, you've looked at these things a lot more closely than I have. Uh, actually, uh, everything you said is, 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 is very, is, is very on point. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that you mentioned is, is the selfless play in that. When you asked about last year, I think one of the things that I noticed, like they run stunts and, and they ran the twist games and things like that. Um, and, and um, they were really effective in their, uh, their Cinco package, which is that five defensive line thing. They were really effective creating pressure out of that. But uh, ultimately when you're not on that and they're running those twist games, they just didn't seem to be on the same page from a time standpoint. Uh, they, they weren't necessarily timed up well. Uh, so I don't know where the cohesion lacked. I don't know if it was from a chemistry standpoint or somebody actually trying to create a natural uh, pick and they, or a natural uh, stunt in, in twist game and just they didn't have the chemistry from a standpoint of I'm going to follow up uh, from a teammate, whoever that tackle is or whoever that end is, and, and whichever one decided to crash or take the inside path, uh, they just didn't follow up in a sense. That, or if they did, it was just really late and, and the offensive line was able to pick up on it. So to your point and to your and what you're seeing in Jacksonville, what I really liked is just how um, in unison they were. Uh, I think one of the bigger things, and the more I watch it, the more I kind of think that the, the the Jonathan Allen play where they ran a, a ET twist, which is ooh, excuse me, sorry, uh, ET twist, which is where the the tackle or excuse me, the end crashes into the guard. And the tackle loops around the end, um, and ultimately, but when when Montez Sweat sees that Cam Robinson is just giving up a uh, inside his his inside, he's able to just uh, use that explosion and, and immediately went inside against Cam Robinson. Um, but because Robinson is beat, he's staying with Montez. He doesn't want to just give up the sack. But in as I'm explaining everything, in that same second in which Montez Sweat breaks inside. Jonathan Allen has good football instincts to really say, all right, I'm going to loop around. I'm going to loop around Montez because Montez, I see him slanting inside. So uh, obviously the, the lanes get replaced, but it forces Trevor Lawrence to get off his mark and, and Jonathan Allen's right there to clean it up. Um, to your point, uh, I think that they were just more so uh, selfless. Uh, they were understanding that they were able to win together if they were able to beat their guys. And uh, to be honest with you, the interior rush, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, they were able to close in those A-gaps and, and really keep Trevor Lawrence inside the pocket. And that's what really helped these guys a lot, too. Obviously, we know Deron Payne had a big game. Uh, and Jonathan Allen had some pressures as well. But, um, yeah, that's that's really what it was, is, is winning those one-on-ones and, and obviously understanding that those twist games are very important so long as you all are on the same page and understand that everybody can eat. I think that was really important. So, uh, yeah, man, it was really good. It was really It was really fun to see. Um, and some of those, I didn't even, I didn't even put out everything, but to your, to your point, like it, it was something, and I hope it's sustainable, um, because Jacksonville was very confused up front. They had a rookie center. Um, so I don't think it's going to be that easy to, to fool people on the twist games from a weekly basis. But if you can create some pressure on uh, like a high percentage of your drop packs, uh, from a, uh, from a, a pass rush standpoint, then I think you're in good shape. 
Well, and I guess the other thing that, you know, happened during the game was Payne. I mean, he, how many balls did he bat two or three down? I mean, he was, he was getting his arms up and, and being a real disruptive force there in the middle of the, the uh, defensive line. And um, that was, he might not have been getting to the quarterback, but he was, he was doing that routinely enough that it really was a, um, a, a boost, I think, to the defense too, which I, somebody was saying that, that coach Z was practicing volleyball drills or something like that with, with the defensive line, but um, you know, hadn't seen a ton of that, you know, maybe you see one of those a game or maybe two across the line, but I think he had at least two himself. Um, and uh, I, I thought that was, you know, hopefully we'll something we'll see more of as well. Absolutely. Um, I guess my closing thoughts on this defense, because Del Rio, from a schematic standpoint, I liked how he dialed up some pressures. I, I'll start with my good um, and, and then go to the concerning parts. But I liked how he dialed up some of his pressures. Um, I, I saw this this disguise, this uh, cover two pressure where he sent both cornerbacks, Kendall Fuller and William Jackson, on the blitz. I don't know if you remember the play where, where William Jackson got to the quarterback, but he missed the sack. Um, and he had... Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, excuse me, Jonathan Allen and Daniel Wise drop into coverage to replace um, the linebackers. And then the linebackers filtered out to complete the cover two look um, with the four underneath. Uh, and, and obviously the two deep, uh, uh, I think I think my math is right. It's never always right. I think five underneath and two deep, uh, if my math is actually proper. Uh, but ultimately, again, uh, the skies cover two that um, was, was very impressive from a create, creation standpoint because uh Kendall Fuller gets home free uh and, and William Jackson is picked up but he's picked up real late so he ultimately has a shot at the quarterback uh but point being I liked how Dale Real dialed up some pressures um some some actual uh designed and schemed up pressures um I liked how he was able to play with the A gap and create simulated pressures um and then obviously from the defensive line standpoint we, we talked about that so I don't have to go up that any further uh but when it comes to the linebackers and defensive backs um I don't think there's going to be many quarterbacks uh, especially with film study, that's going to miss the opportunities that Trevor Lawrence missed and obviously missed the opportunities that Jacksonville missed from an actual pass-catching standpoint too. Um, so they need to clean some things up on the back end because uh, the linebackers had issues covering down the seams and in the flats. Um, and then you have your secondary. Uh, I just I, I, I have to keep looking to this point in which we're recording. I don't know too much about the secondary. I know about the... I know more about the linebackers in, in, in front and defensive line, but the secondary obviously had its issues uh, on some occasions, but I, I don't know into detail where everything really stood uh, from a coverage standpoint. Because somebody asked me about Benjamin St. Juice earlier, and, and I can't even tell you if he played really good or if he played bad. I, I don't know. <laughs> but that's kind of where I'm at my final thoughts on the defense at this point. Yeah, I mean, definitely room for improvement. I would say, you know, it'd be generous to say like C plus or something like that in terms of the defense. So uh, we'll see. Um, you know, hopefully Cam Cam Curl will be back this week. I mean, it's a little bit um, difficult to say if that's going to help because Forrest played so well. It wasn't like Forrest was really a weak spot. Um, but I wonder, you know, again, will there be will there be an attempt to maybe? Um, play Forrest in a different position uh, going forward when Cam Curl comes back. And might that help with some of these uh, coverage issues? We'll see, I, I guess. We will see. Um, I'm giving them, I'm giving them a B, B minus in that same vein. I think the B minus is actually carried from the defensive line. <laughs> that's really, yeah. that's really how good they played for me. 
Um, and, and and I'll leave it at that because that's secondary and that back end. Um, they're going to have to fix up those communication issues. I also think that Jared Goff, just because he's not, uh, you know, an elite quarterback or not viewed as an elite quarterback anymore, he has five or six years of experience. Um, he ain't stupid. And what they saw on film against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's probably going to see on film. I mean, he's probably going to take advantage of if that opportunity presents itself for him. Um, so, yeah, B minus uh, for the pass rush. Uh, and then, you know, the back end got some work to do. Uh, as they do prepare, uh, I guess your quick thoughts on the Detroit Lions. What are some things that you that you think is going to take for Washington to win? What are some things maybe uh, that you that that needs to be a focal point or that they need to be careful of? Whatever whatever angle you want to take. What's what are you what are your thoughts about Detroit? Yeah, so um, I I had the sort of exchange with the folks on the Pride of Detroit site in terms of you know um, leading up to the game and exchanging questions and did a little bit uh, closer look at, at the Lions. And I mean, the reality is I think their defense just, you know, isn't very good. They gave up 38 points to the Eagles uh, in that loss. Um, I think we should be able to exploit their defense. Um, you know, lots was made, made about Aiden Hutchinson, their, their edge rusher. And, and, you know, they said, well, Hertz gave us lots of fits and those kinds of things. Um but I think we should be able to to score, you know, at least as many points against them as uh, as we did against the Jaguars. Uh, they're on their offensive side. I mean, I think their offensive line is probably better than the Jaguars' offensive line. Uh, you know, if it's anything like it was last year, uh, it was sort of like middle of the pack, and it's probably a little bit better with um, some of the young guys getting a year older. Um, the, uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, who was out of practice today, I guess, with an ankle injury, if he's actually there, I mean, he's he's got to be, to me, the, the central focus of any kind of uh, defensive game plan. I think he had a, like 171 yards from scrimmage or something like that against the Eagles. So that guy is, you know, he's he's there, Antonio Gibson, essentially, um, yeah. as far as I see it. Um, the receivers, um, you know, They've got Amon Ross, St. Brown, DJ Chark. They've got TJ Hawkinson. Okay. I mean, I think our receivers are, are, are quite a bit better than those guys. Um, um, so I feel like from a, I feel like this is a game that we should win. I think it's a game we should win ideally fairly handily, but I do think we don't want to underestimate um their offense, particularly given where our defense stands. I do think though, it's a good, again, it's another good matchup for, um, for our defense. It's not like, it's not going to be a cakewalk, but it's a team that um, I think this defense uh, should be able to, to handle if it's going to be any use down the road in terms of more difficult competition. So um, I think there's still a young team, a lot like the Jaguars, Um and with a young coaching staff and that we should be able to take advantage of it, but we'll, but we'll see what happens. I'll say this. If this defense in Washington cannot uh, clean up those, those gaps on, and from a coverage standpoint, we probably looking at a shootout. <laughs> this is, this is probably something where I can see another game in Detroit that goes over 30 points on both sides of the football. Um, now I, I do hate the fact that, like, I, I do this all the time, admittedly. Like, I kind of tend to overreact to what I just saw from a, a prediction standpoint. Kind of overreact to what I just saw. But at the end of the day, 
I mean, the truth is the truth. Like when you have like the coverage breakdowns, you're hoping that your your pass rush can really get there to help mitigate it, or that you know both the pass rush and the, the secondary is actually on point in the same game. And I, I just think that um, uh, with the weapons that they have, uh, they have the ability to just like um, uh, uh, Christian Kirk, but with 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 a guy in DeAndre Swift who's a, a much more uh, versatile player, but obviously a, a better versatile player than etn and and james robinson uh you can probably work the short area uh, ability uh, even better um and, and i think that he's a match a mismatch for linebackers and he's a mismatch for safeties as well so it's like how do you kind of play a, a deandre swiss army knife um that's going to be a question for me um and then you'll have to figure out uh i, I don't think amaral say i think amaral st brown is a good player but uh do you like are you are you is he a focal point? I don't know, I, but I do think you have to key in on him when you have certain matchups. Like Benjamin St. Juice, another guy who's he's facing a, another slot slot receiver who's pretty good. Now Benjamin St. Juice didn't see so a, a ton of opportunities against Christian Kirk. Uh, Kendall Fuller had some of those matchups. Derek Forrest had some of those matchups. And while I'm talking, I guess that's also more important because uh, the the biggest play that Christian Kirk had over the middle was when he beat Derek uh, Derek Forrest. Um, and he beat him for like 25 yards. Um, so I guess in that same vein, I think as I named those players, uh, that's going to be important matchups when you're up, up against uh, Amon Ross A. Brown, who's a really good uh, slot receiver. So I just think the coverage on the defensive side of the football is going to be very important. Uh, how does Jamie Davis uh, learn his lessons from a, a, a leverage standpoint? I do think Ron Rivera had a point, like one of the plays early on in the, in the red zone where Trevor Lawrence overthrew his running back. Uh, he didn't have the proper leverage Jamin Davis did. Uh, knowing that his help was inside, he should have had outside leverage. So how does Jamin Davis bounce back from a film standpoint and also through practice? We'll see. Um, offensively, uh, I think that, to your point, everything that you stated shouldn't be said again, but I do think that this is going to be a, 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 a situation where if their pass rush, Detroit's pass rush, isn't able to impact Carson Wentz's time in the pocket, um, especially interior which I understand from, from Detroit's side, they don't really have the interior pass rushers in a sense to really imp impact the pocket or collapse it. Uh, you'll probably have some time. And I think that this is going to be an opportunity again for Carson Wentz to, to really attack a, 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 I don't know how good that secondary is, but if you get 200 yards put up on you in a rush game and like you got some plays made on you in the air as well, there's going to be opportunities for Carson Wentz. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, until I could get to some more film study on Detroit, but yeah, that's where I'm at, man. It's, it's it, it could be a possible shootout. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I again, I, I feel like um, I don't know. Maybe I'm overconfident. I, I'm feeling like this is a game that we could win by ten potentially, um, and that the defense should should step up. I mean, I I'd, I'd love to be able to get you know two three score lead up front and then just grind them down because they're. Uh, even by the the admission of many on the Detroit um, sort of fan base, their run defense isn't very good. So if we can get to a point where we where we, we put some uh, points on the board and then we can just grind them, you know, maybe that's when we bring Jonathan Williams out or uh, you know have the opportunity to just sort of um, run the clock down and and take the wind out of their sails. Um, but but we've got to get obviously a lead in advance of being able to do that. But we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's going to be another good test. Um, I think we should win the game, but we'll, but we'll see how they come out. 
we will see Kyle. Uh, as always, you know, I appreciate you joining me. Um, and I don't know if you got anything special going on this week, but uh, enjoy your evening and enjoy uh, your weekend. Um, and I guess I look forward to talking to you after this 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 Detroit game, man. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can really go to the two and zero route because uh, those things come too far in between with the, the Commanders and in, in Washington franchise in recent years. No question. Yeah, let's get let's get a little bit of momentum going here at the beginning of the season and um, use that to roll into the thick of the schedule. Absolutely. Uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back Friday for uh, a, a more focused and detailed preview of the Detroit Lions with the uh, interview with uh, Pride of Detroit as well. Um, so see you all on Friday. Um, y'all be safe. Enjoy your day. Enjoy y'all morning, evening, whatever time you are listening. We are out of here.